Some people have the misfortune of going through extreme hardship, pain and suffering in life. It becomes so easy to develop a victim mentality and just throw in the towel. Few have the courage to use that suffering and become a version of themselves that was stronger than they've ever been. This episode is a little different. When Barke started sharing her story, I quickly realized that she deserved the entire stage to tell it. So I took a back seat and just listened. I recommend that you do the same. This woman and her incredible story is going places. It deserves to be told. What you're about to listen to is Barke Faraj Kamus before she was famous. What is it that you did for yourself that now allows you to say that you feel rich as you say? Now, you have to remember I didn't choose to 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 be born in this world. It's it's a gift that any person who were born it's kind of like they put you in a deep end, yeah? <laughs> you don't know what you're gonna come out with. <laughs> and that's the fun bit, you know what I mean? Because think about this. I was born like everybody else, even though sometimes I feel like maybe I'm an alien or something, but I'm not, I still bleed, you know? And, but end of the day, I was born and I, when I realized I was living with my grandmother. Now, I didn't know why. Why was I living with my grandmother? Why don't I live with my mom and dad, like everybody else? Why am I different? I used to ask myself, but I couldn't ask the grown up. I couldn't go to my grandma and ask her, why, why were you given me? <laughs> what did I do so wrong? I couldn't because where I come from, you don't ask those kind of questions. And I was so scared because what if I asked and she took me out and I'm, I don't know where I'm going to go now. You know what I mean? So there was that fear as well. So, but, so at this young age, feeling that you're not wanted, feeling that you're, you're just kind of like, you know, giving away, like, am I not good enough? You know, am I not, you know, who wants me? What did I do wrong or what's happening? You know, am I different? Or am I missing something? So all of those things were going through my mind. But guess what? Life didn't make it easy. Now, I was actually sexually abused when I was about maybe six to 10 or six, eight to 10, or I don't know what those kind of age. And it was hard. Again, I couldn't tell my grandma. She was the amazing woman, but I couldn't tell her. Because the person that was doing that to me was a kind of like um, known in the family. But at the same time, who would believe me? Who would believe a child than a grown man? You know what I mean? And I was kind of like open to this door of sexual early on. You know, at that age, you don't even know the difference of a man and a woman. Why is they do, why they're different? You don't even know that. But for me, I started to know that, oh, so a man has a penis and the woman has a vagina. And I was just like, why? You know, and start seeing and start being aware so early on. But then you can't say a word again. So, and then guess what? <laughs> at the age of 12, my grandmother says to me, Barke, you're going to Zanzibar. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I thought I was just going for holiday. So I was shipped to Zanzibar from Kenya. And I was like, at the beginning it was nice. You know, it was like, oh, it's a holiday. You know, it wasn't, I didn't know anything about it. I met my mom at the age of 12 again after, at the age of nine, my dad died. So my mom and my other sibling, they had to go to uh, Zanzibar where my strict grandmother is. Now for me, I wasn't that very close with my mom when I was young because my dad used to come and visit me to my grandmother's house a lot than my mom. So I didn't have that kind of, uh, you know, like interaction so much with my mom. I don't even remember her so much. 
So the only, even my dad, I can remember the, you know, like uh, the shadow of him, like standing on the doorway, looking at me, you know, and smiling. And that was it. Or someone calls me like, oh, your dad is fetching water in there at the mosque. You want to go and see him? You know, I will run to him. I'll be so excited and I don't want to let him go. You know, like those puppies, they're on your feet, you know, they're just like holding you tight and they don't want to let you go. And I'm just like, oh my God, you know, I need to hold on to this man. But then he would actually treat me like I'm one of the, you know, one of his children. When I was one of his children, he'll put me back into the, into the car, you know, and I would be like, oh, I'm one of them, you know, I'm going home with them. Yeah, right. In the middle of the way, he'll be like, okay, Barke, go to your grandma. And I'm like, why? I could say anything. So at the young age, before I was shipped to Zanzibar, I said to my grandmother, before my dad died, I want to change my name. I want to be called Habiba. Now, Habiba is a uh, it's in Arabic. It's, my, it's called my beloved. I want love so much in my life that I want the name to be my beloved. But I didn't know why at the time. I just loved that name. So my grandmother used to say to me, Barke, you need to go to your to your father because he gave you that name. You need to know why he gave you that name, but I couldn't ask him. So I let it go. So I was shipped to Zanzibar and I seen my grandmother. I was a tomboy, okay? My hair was always short. I'm wearing trousers or track suits all the time. And that is not the way a woman should be, you know? So my grandmother had to sit down with me and say to me, from now on, you're a young lady, you're supposed to let your hair grow and you're supposed to wear dresses and this and that. I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, love my suits, not allowed to wear suits anymore with trousers, you know? So it was like, oh, okay. But being in that house, and the house was like um, a two, one compound with two houses. One is my uncle, one is our house. And hearing my grandmother every single day saying to either, you know, saying to any child who's running around making noise, you killed your dad and now you're here to kill me every single day. And I couldn't understand. I was, you know, it was just what? 12, I lived there only for four years. And every time I hear this, and I was like, why is she saying this? I'm the kind of person was different. I felt different from any of my siblings. I felt like, okay, I want to understand why a person would say things like this. So I used to ask her like, you know, is there anything like you want to share or is there anything that happened, you know? Weird. I was like, you know, a detective or something. And I wanted to ask questions. I want, I want to probe more. But it was, it was just couldn't understand it. Like my grandmother, she was the queen of the house. But at the same time, she would, she would actually treat the girls because my father gave birth to girls. My auntie gave, gave birth to boys, same, eight children, but hers, she had seven children and one girl. We had six children and two boys, but they were all small. The boys were smaller. So all the big ones, are, you know, the adults or, you know, the elder are girls. So my grandmother used to say to my uncle who was in Saudi Arabia and he used to bring, find, you know, bring us money to actually looking after us because my dad died. So he took that position as a kind of like a, you know, like a father figure. So what happened is that my grandmother on the phone, you know, will be speaking like loud enough in the living room and saying, don't worry about these kids. They're horrible. They're bad children. Yeah, don't, don't send the money. Don't send them to school. It's okay. They don't need it. I don't be like, why would she say that? Why would she say that? And then some days she'll be like, you know, you girls, you're going to go to your husband, you're going to get married, you're going to be with your husbands, and that's it, that's your life. But boys have to be the, you know, looking after the family because they have to stay with the name and they have to be the one to be looked after. So I was like, I, I hate being a girl because, so a girl is just like baby machine and just stay home and do and look after the husband and look after the children. That's it. 
and you're not allowed to work because if you work, you're, you're either too arrogant or you're too, you know, those kind of women who likes to speak too much or something. And there was like a, such a big taboo in our home. So I was just like, I don't like it, <laughs> but what can I do? I can't do anything. So I had resented myself as a girl. And what happened is that one day I had chaos happening. I, was, I don't like fighting. I don't like noise, you know, in the house. So I went and hide myself under the bed. And next thing I hear my sister running straight to the toilet and lock the door. And my uncle with his belts is coming and shouting and tried to open the door, he couldn't. So he left. And then my grandmother came along and she was like, it's okay, sweetie, it's all right. Just open the door, I'm here, he's gone. And my sister trusted her so much that she opened the door. But when she opened the door, my, my grandma moved aside and let my uncle finish the job. And every time he used to beat her, he would say to her, your whore or your, your kind of, you know, the worst words you could say to your own child. And this is his brother's child, first daughter. And so what happened is that I was under bed and I projected my dad in front of me. And I was like, why? Why did you go and die at the age of 36 or 39? So young, why did you leave so many children to be, you know, be, kind of become a burden to other people, especially your own family. Why? I will never, I promised myself, I was like, I'll never have so many children that I will leave behind. And I, and also I, I actually project God in front of me. And I said to God, God, please make me grown up. Please make me so big and strong that I can be able to look after my mom, that I can be able to be there for my family, that I can do good in this world, that I can be better than what my grandmother is doing. I hated my grandmother that day because I didn't believe in what she does was right for anyone. So at the age of 15, I had an arranged marriage. At the age of 16, I came to London, United Kingdom. And at the age of 16, I had my first daughter. At the age of 17, I had my son. Life became very busy. I had too many responsibility that I wasn't even aware The I, the individual I, me, I wasn't even aware of myself. I don't even remember those age like 20s, I remember my 20s. All I remember a 30-something-year-old looking myself on the mirror, and I'm like, who is this woman looking at me? All I could see was that, oh my God, why? What happened? I looked at this woman who was older than me in my head, age, and a sad looking woman, depressed even. And it was kind of like a veil that was, you know, in front of me. That day I could see me. I couldn't believe it was me. It was in my head. I had the 16 year old who was happy and bubbly and life is, you know, it's good. And where she go? So I had an awakening that time. And I was like 12 years of marriage. I was like, wow. Why am I not happy? I asked myself, who am I? What is my name? Why am I here? So I started having a diary. I started think, writing things down. Why my marriage is not working? Why am I not happy? Why things are different? Who am I? And the one thing that kept popping up, I wanna be happy. All I want is to be happy. I don't know what this happiness look like or taste like or feel like, but I want to be happy. But then there's this desire of like, 
something is standing in front of my happiness and that's my marriage. I looked at this man and I'm like, he needs to go, I need to go. But where can I go? I have no financial, you know, stability. I have no, I have no family. I have no one. What, or who will help me? And because of my ex used to say to me, my husband at the time, you have children, look at your body's change. You know, nobody will want you. Nobody will see you or you will never be successful. You're not, you know, you're not good enough. And I believed him. I thought I didn't, but I did. So what happened is that I said to him, we're done. <laughs> I want a divorce. You have to understand, I've never complained about my life or my, my anything about my husband or my marriage to anyone. So when he called my family because I packed my bags to show him that I was serious and I started looking for a place to live. So he called my family and most of them are men. <laughs> so he called them and he said to them, what's wrong with your daughter? <laughs> she said she wants to leave. So I was summoned on the call and I was asked, why do you want to leave? What's happening? And I said to them, I want to be happy. So I was told there's no such thing as happiness in this world. You'll never be happy. Just go back to your husband and be happy. And I was like, that's not what I want. So they tried to convince me and I was like, nope, I don't want to go back. So the only thing left was that, listen, if you do this, we disown you. We'll not talk to you ever again. You will have no family. Even when you come to Africa, we were not gonna be there for you. That scared, that scared me to death. I was just like, what? No family? That's everything that I want. You have to understand when young age, I didn't want to be like my mom. That's the one thing. The next thing is that if I have my own family, I will never let, him, let them go. I will work so hard to keep them. So for me, asking for a divorce, it was some kind of like, what else can I do? Or what, what is there? What are my choices? So what happened is that I was so scared to leave my husband or my, my marriage. Even though this man wasn't treating me right, I still love being in a marriage, you know, having someone to come back home to, having that, you know, you don't have to be all alone with anything. And it's a big deal for me. I believe in marriage so much that I was sad to actually walk away without a fight or do not doing enough. So, and another thing was that God doesn't like divorce as I knew at the time. But then I asked myself, I need to understand more because I don't want to disown, you know, do, to, I don't want to do something God doesn't like. So I started actually learning about my own religion. But first, before I could do all that, I had to go back to my husband because packing my bags, I was working early in the morning, going to work. And then when I finished work, I was looking for a place. One day, because every place I go to, they're not really that good for my children. And he wanted to punish me so bad that he wanted me to actually sign my children custody, full custody, give him full custody of my children. I said, no, I couldn't do that. I was willing to give my children to stay with you, but I'm not gonna give you the full custody of my children. That's just a bit much. I said to him, no, I'm not gonna do that. But one day, whilst um, you know, walking around, looking for places, my son called me and it was about eight in the night. He called me, he asked me, mom, where are you? And I'm like, I'm coming home. I just finished looking at this place. I'm coming home. I'll be home about half an hour, it's not that far away. 
And he said to me, mom, we're so hungry. We haven't eaten the whole day. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Where's your dad? Oh, he's in the living room. He's drinking, I think, mom. That made me so sad. Because when we got married, it wasn't love marriage, but I thought we had respect with each other that we had promise. I knew he was drinking, even though Islamically is not allowed, but I couldn't tell a person not to stop something that he doesn't want to. So all I said to him was that, if you're going to be drinking, make sure you're not in the house because of the children, nothing else. And so that was, you know, we did that and we done it for over 12 years. So my son telling me that he's drinking and not actually feeding them or even thinking about them and thinking that this man has financial ability, has a family support, has everything. Why are you doing this? I couldn't understand that. So these bubbles that I had in my head that, oh, this man is a good man. You look after the children, will do everything that I cannot do it. He will be okay. And my son is like, no, mom, wake up. So I couldn't, I couldn't walk away because I, where, what, what could I do? So I said, no, I went back and I said to him, I'm sorry. Okay, let's go back together. Let's try this again. And he was like, so happy. He was like, okay, but we have, uh, you know, conditions. And I was like, what type of conditions do you have? And he said to me, I don't like you having friends. I don't want you to have friends. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to hug people. I don't want you to smile a lot. I don't want you to laugh a lot. I don't want you to even speak without being told. I was like, oh my God, just kill me now. Because, you know, I've ever seen that movie or was a series now, Walking Dead. I felt like those zombies, you know, I just want to get me a brain and have something, you know, at least. I had nothing. I was just walking a zombie. I was, what is this? What's the life? So two years later, nothing has changed. It's actually gone, gotten worse. He was really bad. He wasn't trusting. He didn't trust me or any woman at all. What happened is that when he was doing this to me, I actually thought, you know what, Barke? You can take it. You know, there's, uh, I don't know if you've ever had that rhyme, sticks and stones may break, may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. I thought to myself, I was a superwoman, you know, I can take it. You give it to me, I can take it. I can handle it. But deep down, I wasn't handling it. I was crashing, but I couldn't see it because I was like putting this facade in front of me. I am strong like a shield. I can take this. But what happened is that he started, when he seen this shield, he started believing that it's not working. What I'm doing is not working to this woman anymore because he was controlling my phone, okay? When I, when I got a job, I was like, that's the first thing I was like, nope, you're not paying for my phone anymore. I'm gonna pay for my own phone. He was like, what? Control, oh, no, 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 it's okay. I said, no, I'm gonna pay for my own phone. Another thing was that, Oh, you're not a, why, why don't you ask me to take you anywhere? Oh, you, why you, you want to go by yourself? And I'm like, how am I going to know how to even travel? Come on. Since I came to this country, you are taking me everywhere. When am I going to learn how to do things by myself? And then another thing was that, okay, I'm earning money now. Am I allowed to even speak about something I don't like in the house? No, you're not allowed to say anything. So in my own home, I felt like I was a stranger. I felt like, you know, I'm a guest and I have to ask, can I sit here? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I move this TV like this? You know, I'm not, I couldn't do anything. And let's not even talk about bills because I say to him, I'm living in this house. We've been married for over, for, you know, 13 years now. Can I even pay one bill? No, you just give me the money put in my account, I'll pay all the bills. 
And I was like, I couldn't understand it. I was so angry. Sometimes I'll be like, come on, just even one bill, just water bill, just even council tax. No, I want you to just put into my account and you'll be fine. I don't want that. This is crazy. So what happened is that if I say to him that kind of questions, he will be like, okay, let's do half then. And I'll be so scared because I wasn't earning good money. So I was like, I can't do it. Can I do even half? I can't. So I'll be just like, okay, I'll give you 600 pounds or 550 a month. I'll, I'll put in your account. I'll shut up. You know, I won't say anything. So 14 years of marriage. One day, I realized another thing because I was now to the point that I wasn't actually, whatever he was telling me, I wasn't taking it seriously anymore. So what he done is actually changed and he started treating my daughter really badly. His own child, his own blood, he started making like every time he would see her because now she's becoming, she's what, 13 years old. So what happened is that every time he sees her, he would say, you look just like your mom, but in an aggressive way, not in a nice way, like, oh, wow, you look beautiful just like your mom. No. And my daughter would feel this, but then I would brush it off and I'll be like, it's okay, baby. It just, it just maybe reminds me, you know, every time he sees you, he sees me and he, he remember me, you know, baby, it's a good thing, you know. But I wasn't listening to my own child. Because she would come and say things to me. Mom, I don't like that. But what's the worst is that when I'm not there, he would actually, because my son was one year younger than my daughter. So he would say this, you know, accusing her of things. Oh, you did this, isn't it? And he would like pressing and pressing. And my son doesn't know better. He will be laughing at what the father's saying. But then my daughter, she feels like she's all alone because this, you know, the brother's laughing, the father's accusing, who is she there with? Nobody. And she couldn't do anything. She was just start crying. So what happened is that she'll come and when she tells me, I'll brush it off. Is your dad is not gonna harm you? It's okay. Until I was like, when are you gonna get, you know, oh, the day my daughter came to me, and she says to me, mom, if nothing changes, I'm going to run away. I said, what? <laughs> I said, what did, you, what did you say? I couldn't, I couldn't. I was like, wait, hold on a second. What do you mean? And that's when I was listening. So what happened is that one day we were watching movie and every Sunday, okay, it's our Sunday night, we watch movie. It's like a movie day, okay? Family, it's just me, my children, my husband at the time. And all the curtains were drawn, you know, it's dark. I'm watching horror film or action film, whatever it's gonna be. And my children will be next to me, okay? And any little thing, just shouting and start screaming, you know? So what happened is that my husband was, because we had a, a uh, computer table just in front of us where near the TV is, but he left the room and then he came back. He came back with a tablet on his hand. It was my daughter's tablet. And he came straight to where, you know, we were watching TV. So with the TVs in front of us, we were on the sofa and he came right in the middle. So we can't even see the TV here. Yeah? And he stood there Imagine yourself like a giant standing in front of you and you're a little kid, like you're looking at that. And this giant starts shouting, yelling, you broke this, how could you? Why did you do that? This is why you're not playing with it. This is why I knew something was happening. My daughter jumped from her seat to my lap and she was shaking. I looked at this man and I was like, excuse me, can you stop? Please stop. My daughter's shaking, holding me so tight. I knew at the time that, you know what? If I'm not doing this for them or if I'm not doing this for myself, 
I think the whole family is going to go in a very bad way. I need to do something. That was just one of the trigger. But then I still was in the very, it wasn't clear yet for me. So what happened is that one day, went to, it was near Christmas time. <laughs> and um, I was working in catering at this time. And so what's happened is that I love Christmas time, okay? I love putting all the, you know, tables and ah, the, you know, what you call it, uh, decorations and all these things, just beautiful. So I took the children, he drove us actually to work and, um, in central London. And we had a great time. And after we finished, my children, as usual, are we hungry? <laughs> I was like, okay. So I called him and I was like, are uh, you there? Yes, uh, because we were supposed to be going to Robby on the weekend. He goes to Robby, plays Robby. And I was like, are you there? And he was like, yes, I'm here. What do you want? And I was like, oh, oh. the way he's speaking, something is up. So I was like, is there food in the house? Why did you ask me? Are you here? You can come and have a look. And I was like, okay, don't worry. I'll be home soon. Bye. I just put the phone down. Came home. He was sitting right in the corner. And he wasn't looking good. So I told the children, go, go, go to your room. I'll make some food quickly, okay? You'll be fine. Don't worry. Just go to, go to, go to your room. Close the door. Anyway, I went to the toilet. Someone knocking on my door. I said, yes, we need to talk. Okay. Uh, I went to the room and he was like, hey, I was cleaning today and I found this. And I'm like, what did you find? Inside there was a, a, a sandwich bag. Inside there was a condom. It was a pink condom. I was like, what's that? Is that condom? I said, yeah, it's a condom. And I was like, I'm so sorry, I'm terrible. And I started laughing. So I was like, where did you find it? Where did you find this condom? And he was like, I was cleaning the living room. I found it under the, under the carpet. And I was like, really? I was like, okay. Can I have a look? I looked at this condom. And it looked very clean. I'm sorry, but for me, I just thought it was a joke. Okay. The man wasn't laughing. So I was just like, I'm sorry. Okay. But if I, if I used it, I will remember the color because it's so distinctive. You know, I was just like, no, that, I didn't use that. <laughs> so I walked away. I was laughing. And he would say to me, stop laughing. I just want you to, I just want you to actually confess and I will forgive you. And I'm like, what's the point in confessing if you're going to forgive me? Just forgive me then. You know, why, why we have to confess? What is this? Is this a charge or something? I, I'm not going to confess because I didn't do anything. Anyway, I walked away. After I walked away, what he did, I never knew a man would do that. He called my daughter. She's 13 years old. And she, he started shouting at her, did you bring a man in the house? Did you have sex with a man? I was like, what? I went to him and I was like, excuse me, you need to stop right now. She's 13 years old. She's very quiet, very kind of like, oh my God, this girl, she won't do this. She doesn't, oh, I was so upset. I was so upset. But the thing is, he stopped. But he actually started this new behavior of demanding sex. Every single day we have to have, we have, to have sex. But the thing is the sex, if it was a great sex, I wouldn't be complaining. I'll be like, yay, go for it. But it wasn't, it was like a forced sex. And this forced sex, it was like, I don't want to, please. I don't want to do this. Can you please stop? I don't, I don't like it. And every time I say those words, he will start walking from the bedroom to the corridor and he's doing on purpose because he knows. I don't want the children to wake up. It's middle of the night. And then he will be like a, like a I don't know if you've ever seen a TV when a boy has a tantrum. Have you ever seen that? When they go on the, you know, like if they're in a shopping center and they see candy or they see a toy. My son used to do that. And they see a toy and they just, they was go down the floor and they'll start, and this man will be acting similar to that. And he will be like up and down going and he will be like, 
I will say, I want you, why are you doing this? This is a shamble marriage. This is that, this is, and I won't be like, fine, I'll do it. Even if I don't want it, just to keep him quiet. But then this man for 14 years of marriage didn't really touch me or love me or cared for me. I didn't get that. So for me, having sex, it was kind of like torture. It was kind of like, I was allergic. I felt like I was allergic to sex. Really, I was just like, is it this painful? You know, like it was irritating feeling. Is this the way it's supposed to be? It was so hard because this man, since I was a 16 years old, you know, to double of that 16, this man, I was like, this is not the way. So anyway, it took me two weeks that one day I sat down in the kitchen. <laughs> he came in to the kitchen to grab something. And for the first time in my life, I seen, I seen him as a man. And I was like, oh my God, I had a breakthrough right there and then. I was like, it's like, <laughs> it's like a pen drop or pin drop. I don't know what they say there, you know? And I was just like, he's a human being. This is a man. He's not a prophet. He's not God. This is a man who has feelings and who, who's been hurt. For the first time, I could see him in pain. You know, I could see him that he's actually hurting. I could see him that he has a lot, you know, a lot that he needs to get through. He has trauma that he's pushing it on me. He's actually, whatever he thinks that the trust or the, you know, the fail and all these things, it's him. It's not me. All this time I've been thinking that there's something wrong with me. All this time I've been thinking that I'm the one who's doing something, that I'm, you know, if, you know, something is wrong or something that I'm doing that is not right. I cannot make this man happy. Why? But because it's him who cannot see. He cannot see me because he's, I'm not there in his head. His problems are there. So what happened is that actually I sat him down and I said to him, thank you. <laughs> thank you for everything you've done. Okay, you brought me into this beautiful land, okay, UK. And even though I didn't ask for, but I actually did, you know, when I was under that bed and I asked God, can you please hurry up and make me a grown up? Can you please make me strong enough to actually do something great in my life? I didn't realize this until later on after the divorce and everything else. And I was writing my book. That's when everything else clicked. And I sat down in 2016, 2000, sorry, 2014, I asked for my divorce. 2015, I received my divorce. It was granted. Even though he used to say to me, any judge will say to you, go back to your husband. And I thought, I believed him. And I thought the judge will actually tell me that. So what happened is when I went to file my for divorce, I actually waited for the court to call me so the judge can talk to me. I was waiting for it until I was so scared. I was like, why are they not calling me? Or why, what's wrong? Why are they, not why are they taking too long? I called January, 2016. I had, uh, <laughs> I had courage <laughs> to call and I called them and I was like, what's happening? You know what? It's been, this is the second year now. What's going on? And the man on the phone was like, what do you mean what's going on? Babe, you're divorced since the 2nd of December last year. I was like, what? He said, yes. I was like, oh my God. So yes, I was divorced, but guess what? Things were not that great because he still lived in the house. So I was sleeping on the floor. He comes every night drunk and he will walk where I'm sleeping or in my children's bedroom. For six months, I was, I was sleeping on the floor and he will come and walk up and down shouting and swearing and 
telling all these odd names, look at you, you're fat, look at you, did this, you did that, how could you, made my life miserable and this and that. And I will be just pretending to be asleep. But deep down, I was just like, oh my God, please God, do something. But I couldn't leave because I wanted, I even went to the, I even called like um, Women Refuge uh, to ask them for help. And they said to me, because of your son, he's 12 at the time he was what? 16, he'll be 14. So he said, no, we cannot, you cannot come with him. So I couldn't, I couldn't live. I went to the housing and asked for a way that maybe they'll take him, you know, ask him out. They said, no, they cannot interfere. I even went back to the housing and I was like, can I apply for a house for him? You know, so he could have a place, a guaranteed place for him to live. Nope, I cannot do that. So I, that time I was also going through a lot of, um, a lot of heart, heartbreaking with work because divorce, everything was just, I didn't take time off for the whole year once. And because I'm working catering and uh, with trolley full of alcohol and all drinks and everything else, I cracked my back and I had to be home for the whole month. So I would advise anyone, okay, take your holiday, my darlings, yeah? Don't think of killing yourself. It was not worth it. So what happened is that the holiday that I'm supposed to be taking, I took it as a sick leave and it wasn't fun. So trying to go back to work, I actually, my aim was that my work is to get to management and then to look for something else. And I did that. I went into management and then I started like, okay, I need to think about other career that I want to get into. And I wanted so badly to do a uh, beauty therapist. So I actually applied for that. So 2016, I was just like working for it to actually get my qualification. But then I couldn't do it because I was like, if I'm working full time and study full time, it, it, it's too much. Something has to give. So I say goodbye to my job and um, go back to school full time. And I did that. It wasn't easy because I wasn't getting any income for nine months. So nine months. And he, so he was doing, he was paying the bills. Okay. And he was actually, I was, <laughs> you know, when he buy food, I've gone eat. So anyway, he didn't like any of that. So what happened is that he announced to my children, I'm leaving. And I was like, hallelujah. So he left 2017, but one week he left. I felt like, oh my God, you know, it's like, you're on a nine, uh, you're, what do you call it, the nine cloud or something. And I was just like, oh my God, you know, this is amazing and whatever. A week later, the letters started to come in like horror movie, okay, of the rain. It was just like, oh my God. It was red letters. I was like, what? Why red? I was like, what's going on? He wasn't paying bill for the last six months that he was here. And because he was home, he used to hide the letters. So he left saying to me, Marke, you will never be successful. You will come back to me and you will ask for my forgiveness. I looked at him. I was a bit trembling, but I looked at him and I was like, you'll never see me in your life ever again. And I don't like to be dead because I was so scared though. Letters are coming in. My bank, everything was in red. There was no income. So what happened is that at the beginning, I was so scared. I was just hiding. I was like, Anyone called me, I was like, I'm not here, not here. So the main thing for me was that I didn't want to lose my home. So I had to go to the housing and I was like, okay, what can I do? What can I make a difference? Because I don't have a job at the moment. 
but I am already applying and I'm already looking for ways that I can, you know, do something. And I've already, I'm qualified as a therapist. So just be patient with me. And they were like, no, we want our money yesterday. So I sat down one day and I was looking at my jewelry from, you know, my wedding jewelry and all of these things, just that, you know, sitting there collecting dust. And I thought to myself, Barike, why don't you, you know, go to the pawnbroker and just sell them? So I did, I went to the pawnbroker and I was like, how much can you give me with this? My uncle who was a Saudi Arabia. He gave me two wedding set. One was silver, one was gold. The silver one, my grandmother came and took it the morning after my wedding. And she gave me all these excuses that she needs it and whatever, whatever. I don't care, take it. But my gold one, they gave it to me. They left it with me. So my gold one actually came up to nearly or even over 2,000 pounds. So I was like, yes, baby. So first time, all I, the whole money that I got, I actually paid for my areas of my housing. I was like, there. I paid it. Now you don't, don't come and talk to me about it. Just it's done. And that first time I actually bought food in the house full. The fridge was full. My children, we were like having a party and we were so happy having a good meal that day. And the thing is, is that I always had this conversation with my children before the divorce started and after the divorce started, I always have the conversation, talk to me. I ask me anything, I will answer you truthfully. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm going to, to be honest with you. When the money is not good, I don't have income. I tell them exactly, this is what's happened, but be patient with me. When money is good, I will treat you. We can do good things. But for now, I need you to be patient. And they were very understanding. So we had that kind of a communication going. It was amazing. So when I started working again, I started working. I went crazy. I was doing full time. Like anytime you give me, I'll do the work because I wanted to ensure my bills have been paid. I'm on top of everything. But one year later, or is it one and a half years later? Because where I was, I was massaging a lot. So beauty therapist, I have to do masseuse as well. So I have to do massage. So from the tip of my hand to the elbow, it all started swelling, all of it. How can I do my massage if my hands I cannot use? So I had to be out of work for six months. My doctor said to me, Barke, if you keep doing this, you will not use your hands and you might get arthritis early. So set back, <laughs> I was so scared, but this time was different fear. It wasn't like a full on fear, like when I wanted to leave my marriage. This time I wasn't scared so much because I believe in the process, there's something bigger here. At the same time, I already started doing uh, personal development. I already started, I was just like, I knew this is what I was born to do is speak is being able to share my story and help other women and girls. But I wasn't ready to share it yet to Walt. I was a bit afraid, you know, like, oh, I've got this new thing, I wanna share it to everyone, but how are they gonna respond, you know? So what happened is that in the job center, I had this a coach and this coach said to me, what do you want to do in your life? And he kept asking me that question. But for me, it was deeper. The question was deeper than just like, what kind of job you want to, you know what I mean? It was like, what do you really want to do in your life? And I said to him, I'm a speaker and I'm trained coach and I'm a mentor. And oh my God, I'm writing my book. You know, I told him everything. So he said to me, if you're able to actually get out of, um, you know, like, uh, what do you call it? Um, after you healed, if you get even a few hours of work, then we can be able to actually help you further. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what do I need to do? So he helped me and I was like, and then my work called me and they said to me, oh, Barke, there is a reception job. So you won't be able to do, uh, you know, to do the, you know, the therapy, so the, to do anything with the body work and everything. And I was like being a therapist and I was like, it's fine. That's good. That's great. So two days a week I was doing therapy. I was doing as a receptionist. And it was good. 
So what happened is that the coach said to me, guess what? You know what I do? And I was like, well, what do you do? And it was that I train uh, youth, actually. I teach them every Thursdays. And sometimes it can be Wednesday and Thursdays. Are you interested in coming as a mentor? And I was like, yes, please. So first time he gave me my kind of job and to do what I love to do. So I had brought my banner, I brought my workbooks and I was like, yes, let's do this. I had like uh, 10 people and then the job center in Poplar in London. And then there was another job center in Hackney or something. They were there as a, just observe what I do. And when I was doing, they were like, wow, we would love this as well. And I was like, yes. And I was so excited. And I, was, I did with them for nearly um, six months. But then the, the work coach that he was doing with me, he got sick. So it was canceled. And But the thing is, I actually, I had a call on Facebook. Someone sent me a message and we had a call and he was like, Marke, I'm actually having a project in Zanzibar and uh, it's for women and youth. And this is something that, you know, especially now the world has changed. Girls are actually going to university a lot, but after university, they don't do anything. And I was like, what? Yeah, they don't do anything. They, I want them to actually go and work or have a business or do something in their lives. Are you interested in coming to Zanzibar? I was like, I was there in Zanzibar, you know? My parents were born in Zanzibar. I was like, yes, I'm coming. I didn't have a lot of money in my account. I didn't have any money in my account. I was going through financial difficulty. I went to bankruptcy, okay? I had nothing or no credit card or anything. And I was just like, I was in high level of believing in myself that I was like, you know why I believe in God and I believe in love attraction and you know what, I'm gonna make it. So I don't know how, but I'm gonna make it. And guess what? Things started working very like, like a ball is rolling and there's no way to stop it, okay? I had, to, I had um, enough money to actually buy a ticket after that I got my visa, after that I got this and I was like, yes, on the visa day, the man said to me, what, are you going to Africa to speak? I said, yes. I've got my cousin, actually, he does uh, motivational speaking in Tanzania. I was like, what? I give, I need his number. I want to connect with him. And he was like, yes, here, his number. I was like, okay. I got myself another speaking gig in Tanzania. After that, I was just like, I went to Zanzibar for 14 days, okay? This is my home country. This is where my mom is and my family and everything else. And I was just like, walking in Zanzibar as a divorcee, walking in Zanzibar as a single mom, walking in Zanzibar as a proud woman, this is never to be seen. And I'm just like, I'm rocking it. I'm like, hey, I don't give a shit about what your opinion. I am here to do a job and I am gonna do it. So I was there and I was just like, hey, my name is Barke, be your own hero. I am here to be, I'm here as a speaker. Where, where can I go or what, you know, who do I meet? And meeting all these people. And I was just like, yes, I did my program for three days. After that, my sister called me and said to me, Barke, would you mind to come to my neighborhood? I'll bring all the women and you can do your program again with me. And I was like, yes, babe, I've got time, I'll do that. Another person called me and said to me, Barke, we're doing this, uh, we have a project, but we would love you to come and just listen to us and just see if it's, you, can, you can give us advice. Yes, I'm coming. I went and actually speak with them. And I was just listening to what their ideas and everything. And I'm like, okay, have you done this? Have you, have you actually, you know, what have you, steps have you taken? And what can you do? You know, and I was just like, wow. And then I went to Tanzania by myself, okay, in Africa. It's not easy. I went by myself. I was like so hot. It was hot. Trust me. And I was just like, I have to be here. And I went and I speak in front of the youth. I'm talking about like 18 to 25 years old. And they were all mixed men and women. And I was just talking. I For the 14 days I was there, I was actually, when they're only for one, I end up went there for, to speak five, six different stages. And I was just like, wow. I came back home in London. And I promised myself, I'm going to publish my book next year. I did just that. 
after I published my book, 2020, I said, I'm going to be traveling all over the world and I'm going to be speaking. Guess what? 2020, Corona said, no, Barke, you're not traveling. But guess what? Oh, Zoom is all yours, Barke. You can do the traveling in Zoom all over the world. And I did just like that. And I made that happen. And now every month I'm actually doing a... Um, it's a collaboration with Kamara Youths, so we're doing monthly event every month at the end of uh, at the end of this. So the last Saturday of the month, we're doing event, and once in a year, we're doing a recognition award for the organizations who are actually helping the youth everywhere in the world. I love what I do. And now I'm speaking in stages. I'm speaking like for you, example, the podcasts. I have my own podcast. I'm, I'm actually now publishing my book again, the same book that I've done in the Las Vegas. So it can be actually all over the world. So it's going to happen that in a few months as well. I'm writing my second book, all to do with sex. Yes, so get ready. And this is just really how a woman can come from nowhere to be somebody? How can a person do, or even if you think you're not good enough or someone tells you in, in life you're not good enough, but I'm telling you, you are good enough. If you only believe in yourself and you become your own hero and that's all you need in this life. What if you could stand up and say, hell yes, I made it. I am strong and I can do what I need to do and live on my terms because I'm the, you know, I'm the author of my book. I'm the one who's writing it. No one else is writing it. So it's okay if someone says or someone tells their opinion, it doesn't make your reality. That is in fact. So here I am, Barke, be your own hero. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Okay, I have very few words to describe what I just witnessed there. I think you are an absolute inspiration and I just want to thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing your life story so openly and in such an unfiltered way. I think there's so much that the world can learn from you and your story and I am so so happy that you have managed to turn what has been great pain and suffering into such a gift for other people and I think that is absolutely amazing um, thank you absolutely incredible Barke I know that we are up on time now but just before we leave if anyone wants to learn more about you, your story, about Be Your Own Hero, how can they do that? So you can either read my book. It has uh, what all the story you've been listening to me or watching or just hearing it. If this is not enough and you want to literally read it from A to Z, then my book is the best way because I actually take you in my kind of like, um, you become like a projector, okay? You can get to the front seat and you can actually see or relieving my story. But that's not it though. So I'm also on podcast, like I said, Barke Be On Hero podcast. I'm also in um, Facebook Okay, Barke Be On Hero or Barke Faraj Kamos. Uh, you can even Google me. Um, go my own website, barkebeonhero.com. And really, literally, I am open. <laughs> LinkedIn, Barke Faraj Kamos. So, end of the day, we, I am here. I've got my own YouTube as well. If you if you like to be motivated or if you like to listen to what I can, I do to other people, you know, like. Uh, I have a um, platform called So Purpose Leaders that I actually bring other leaders and I interview them myself. I also collaborate with Humans First, dot, uh, Human First Club. I, I love working with people who are aligned with who I am. I'm all about authentic. I'm all about, it all starts with you and you can take it further by helping other people. 
but a first thing you have to help yourself. First thing you have to do is looking after yourself. So if you love what you're, what you're listening right now, then you can get in touch with me. And like I said, Facebook, Instagram, uh, I speak Swahili to guys, okay? I speak Swahili, so I go Swahili speakers community, Facebook or uh, Instagram. And uh, so if you like Swahili or you, you know, you want to hear me speaking in Swahili and laugh at me, then you can go there. But um, I'm excited. I'm excited about life. And yes, so thank you so much, Aaron. Really, I, I appreciate you. I really do. Thank you, Barke. The pleasure is all mine. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to learn more about this incredible story, I know the format was a little bit different in this episode, but honestly, that story was just so incredible. It just needed to be told. Um, I think if you're interested, go and check out Barke, her work, her book, and just experience that story because I think it's, it's, it's amazing. Thank you so much once again, Barke, and I hope everyone has a fantastic rest of their day. Thank you for listening to the show. In Your Element uncovers stories and ideas of people living in their element. If you know someone who has a great story or have a story of your own you'd like to share, then get in touch and join our growing community at inyourelement.fm. I would love to see you back here for next episode. As always, keep being you, keep crushing life, and keep finding your element. I'll see you in the next one.